This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. The Jadavian Clowney trade has been finalized. The Seahawks' initial 53-man roster is set, and we have some players set to join the practice squad. And joining me to talk about it is Rob Staten from SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, it was a busy weekend, and I know you had your own busy schedule with work, so I appreciate you making time for the show. No, I'm absolutely delighted to, Brandon. What a weekend it has been for the Seahawks, you know, starting off with that incredible news regarding Jadavian Clowney. And then just as every layer of that trade was revealed to us, you know, the compensation that it was going to cost was barely believable. Now we understand that the Texans are essentially paying half of his salary, which is even more incredible. They're going to get him for about $8 million. Then you knock off Barkyvios Mingo's salary because they're making a save in there. You know, they're getting him for absolutely nothing this year. It is one of, on, on paper, it looks like one of the all-time great trades that the Seahawks have, have made. And it's right up there with some of the great ones. You know, Marshall Lynch being a great example. Um, so he has to deliver now. But, you know, the initial thought is what a deal for the Seahawks. And this just significantly bolsters their chances of being a contender this year. It was an interesting roller coaster for those of us following the Jadavion Clowney trade closely because it's, well, I think it all started with Dwayne Brown and the uh, 12 eyeballs tweet right around midnight uh, Pacific time. <laughs> Is, uh, is what kicked things off and people started looking like, okay, is because we know Dwayne Brown with his history with the Texans has a relationship with Clowney and uh, reportedly was kind of lobbying Clowney to come to Seattle. Uh, Clowney turns down a potential trade to the Dolphins. We know that they wanted uh, Tunsil, the left tackle there, and were willing to give up Clowney for that. The Texans do end up getting Tunsil with a couple first-round draft picks, second-round draft picks, a big trade there. So a lot of uh, the Texans kind of seeming desperate going into this year, going all in on Tunsil, uh, giving up Clowney for nearly next to nothing. But as as far as the roller coaster with Clowney went, it started with the Dwayne Brown news. It went on into the morning, and initially Seahawks fans were thinking offensive line because the uh, the Texans needed offensive line help. They needed running back help. So you're thinking, okay, what offensive lineman would you be willing to give up? And you know, names like Justin Britt were being thrown around, Jermaine Effetti being thrown around, and kind of tough because now that it was getting to the point of feeling like it was a strength for the Seahawks on the off- offensive line. And then the next reports were that the Texans were pl- trading for defensive players. And then after that, it was linebackers. And then Seahawks fans are starting to get worried because, well, shoot, you know, we have a couple of really good linebackers. We don't want to give up any of, you know, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, or Michael Kendricks. And then it turns out the, the linebackers were more outside linebackers in the Houston Texans system and Barkevius Mingo, Jacob Martin. I think Jacob Martin, probably the best player out of this deal uh, for the Texans, even when you consider... Uh, I think he, you'd probably value him at least as a third-round pick at this point. Yeah, I, I think what the deal said to me initially was that I think the Texans were probably gearing up to just release Jadavian Clowney, that they were hoping to use him as a trade chip to try and get Laramie Tunsil, that they were absolutely determined to get him, and they were hoping that maybe by throwing Clowney in as part of this deal, it would perhaps cost them just the first and second round pick rather than two first rounders and a second round pick in the future. So I think that's what they were intending there. Uh, when that deal didn't come off, I think they just made a decision that they were going to move on and that 
perhaps they were going to rescind the uh, franchise tag, let him become a free agent, uh, just in the way that um, Carolina did with um, Josh Nolan not so long ago, mm-hmm. um, and let him go and test the market. He eventually signed with the Redskins, and just and I think the Texans were going to go down that road, just eliminate the drama, just part ways, and move on. And I think what the Seahawks have, have done is capitalize on that situation and say, look, um, I, I don't know what the, the compensation, the compensatory pick situation was if they release him this late. You know, it's definitely possible that they wouldn't have received a comp pick mm. for uh, Clowney next year, having released him so late in the day. Uh, but I think what the Seahawks essentially did was, look, you're going to release this guy. We'll give you the third round comp pick that you would have got if you would have just released him back in the day, you know, let him walk as a free agent back in, in March. We'll give you that third round pick. Let's let's come to a compromise here. You pay half the salary. We'll pay half the salary. We'll throw in a couple of guys that we're going to move on from anyway. That you know that you you can utilize. Well, I think Mingo they would have probably moved on from in hindsight. Um, Martin is obviously a player that they perhaps would have valued, but have been willing to move him as well. And I think it made sense for both teams. And I think this is also why you perhaps see some other teams didn't really get in here. We saw that the Eagles were were linked with him. But maybe I think teams were of the understanding that Clowney was going to get moved. And the Seahawks perhaps just darted in there, got an agreement with the Texans, which worked for both teams. Of course, you've mentioned Dwayne Brown. Clowney saying, yeah, I'm very interested in moving to the Eagles and the Seahawks was the report in the week. And one of those teams has come to the fore here and made an offer, made this happen. So I think we have to congratulate the Seahawks um, for getting the deal done. I think the Texans, you know, it's, it's a very strange deal. You know, it's it's hard to comprehend. I think with all of these things, you kind of have to take a step back sometimes. And I think, that you know, I'm reminded of when the Giants took Daniel Jones and the reaction was hysteria amongst the NFL, particularly with the media in New York. And then, you know, the media in New York are in love with Daniel Jones and want him to start because he had a good preseason. I think sometimes you have to take a step back and say, try and understand it from Houston's perspective. And if they were just going to release Jadavian Clowney this week and let him become a free agent anyway, the fact that they got something or anything for him you know, you have to say, well, fair enough then, you know, if it was, if it was nothing or third round pick and two players, then actually it makes some small sense. And, um, you know, they've taken a small hit on the, on the salary cap to make this happen. That's just well played by the Seahawks. And then they go and get Laramie Tunsil, who has just turned 25 is a great age. They are in a Super Bowl window. This is a team that won 11 games last year. Houston won their division. You know, they want to take a step forward. They need to protect Deshaun Watson. Um, and now they've got a young left tackle that they can potentially build around and, and properly go for a, a Super Bowl run as opposed to being one of those teams that perhaps second tier in the AFC. So, look, it, it may well be that this is a horror show from the Texans, but I think to look at it from a slightly different angle, I think this is... I think, well, it's interesting for the Texans and we'll see if it works. Certainly if they get to like the AFC Championship game this year, a lot of less people are going to be criticising them. And I think for the Seahawks, it's definitely a win because they've acquired Clowney. Now they get Clowney and Answer to rush the edge. They get Jaron Reed back to play with Puna Ford. That's a great front four. They've got the, the, the three starting linebackers in there. Great front seven now. It looks a little bit closer to what they had in 2013, Brandon, where you had Bennett, Averill, and uh, Bruce Servin and Chris Clemens and people like that. They've actually got a decent pass rush when LJ Collier comes in. Uh, I think this is very, very encouraging for the Seahawks and reasons to be excited going into the new season. Well, another potential player to add to the pass rush, maybe later on in the season, the Seahawks picking up Ja'Kai Polite, who was waived by the Jets, and they signed Polite to their practice squad. Rob, we talked about guys in the draft last season. Ja'Kai Polite was one who was projected to go as early as the first round. He ends up going in the third round to the Jets. They decide to put him on waivers. 
He went unclaimed, and the Seahawks actually signed him to their practice squad. Doesn't even go to the Jets' practice squad. A very interesting move. It's very, very interesting. I think it was always a bit of a head-scratcher for the Jets and was showing of their desperation. You know, they really really needed a pass rusher. Um, they'd lost out on Anthony Barr, uh, who had agreed to sign with the Jets and then rescinded that and then went back to sign for the Vikings. They were so, so desperate and they essentially uh, made a gamble and went for Polite. You know, they could have had someone someone different in that position, but they go for Polite and he hasn't even got out of his first preseason. Um, some of the issues here, I mean, actually watching Polite last year, I thought he was really, really good. You know, his effort was good. His ability to bend off the edge was good. He was the star pass rusher for Florida in the SEC. There was an awful lot to like about him. And it was such a surprise that he was out of shape at the combine. He ran a 4.84 and then limped off. And people, remember Tony Pauline was was reporting that teams had their doubts as to whether or not he was really injured. He, I, I don't think he improved anything at the to the pro day in Florida. It was an absolute disaster zone of um, of a preseason for him, and he probably deserved to go a lot later than he did off the back of that. Now it's easy to say that now that he's been released by the Jets. Um, so he's going to join the Seahawks practice squad, and uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this works. I think there is one thing we have to remember here is that he has not been signed to the active roster, and this is essentially a tryout. This is the Seahawks having a look at Jakai Polite. I suspect there will be fans right now getting a little bit excited that this big name is signed to the practice squad. People will be considering, you know, in a couple of weeks, is he going to get moved up to the 53-man roster? Is this going to be another player that's going to add to a pass for us? Can he recreate some of the pressures that he got in Florida last year? Might want to pump the brakes on that. There's every chance that this time next week, Polite will be off the practice squad and will be moving on to pastures new. I Fingers crossed that it works out, because if they can sign him to the 53-man roster after some good play on the practice squad in, in the week, then um, then great. That's, that's like having another draft pick. But... There's just as much chance that he's going to be on the way out very shortly. So let's hope it works out. It's it's no gamble. It's a trial. It's a tryout for, for Jakai Polite. Let's hope he can uh, earn this second chance. Well, I want to get into the 53-man roster, Rob. Let's start out with quarterback because they cut all of the quarterbacks who were behind Russell Wilson. And so only so going into with this initial 53-man roster, I, and I say initial because we know that John Schneider is going to continue to make moves. They won't go into the Bengals game with zero quarterbacks behind Russell Wilson. They even cut Keenan Reynolds, so they don't even have a guy who played quarterback in college uh, who can go in in an emergency. Well, I think the one thing that this tells us is it's about time the NFL got rid of this rule whereby if you are on the active roster in week one, your contract is guaranteed. I don't know that there may be a just I've not studied it. There may be a justifiable reason for this happening, but you know, teams like the Seahawks are making moves to essentially get around this rule by the looks of things. Um, I I suspect that might be one of the reasons why Geno Smith has, has moved on. If he's back with the team this time next week, then it says an awful lot. And and the Seahawks play this system. I I don't know. I don't study other teams and their actions. I suppose others have done as well to not guarantee veteran contracts, get through the first week and then you try and re-sign them. There's a small gamble as we saw with Tom Johnson last year, they could sign with somebody else. Uh, But if that doesn't happen, you bring them back and and financially it does benefit you. I just think, I just wish the NFL would remove that rule because I just think it's daft. I don't think there's any need for it. And um, I, I think it's something that would, 
just make life a bit easier for players and for teams as well. Um, yep, there are still some decisions to be made in terms of what they're going to do. It's it's possible that Joey Hunt could go on IR with uh, the designation to potentially return. He has a high ankle sprain, but they've not said how long he's going to be out. Uh, Shaquem Griffin apparently injured himself again against Oakland. Um, he was kept on the 53-man roster, which says to me that the Seahawks don't want to lose him, uh, but perhaps will IR him. I mean, one of these linebackers is going to go, and it ain't going to be KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner, Michael Kendricks, Austin Cleetro, or Cody Barton. I think it's highly unlikely to be Ben Burke-Kirvin. Uh, Shaquem Griffin is the one who is currently injured, so you would imagine that he's going to go on IR, and then the Seahawks can protect him, protect his rookie contract, and can either bring him back later this season or bring him back next year with no concern of losing him. And, you know, there are one or two other things that could happen as well. Potential moves down the line, you know, other players may be going on IR and stuff like that. Uh, but they are going to have to make some moves, as you mentioned there, with Clowney set to come on. Um, another player is going to go on IR. They will need to sign a quarterback. Could Magoo come back? Maybe so. I was, I saw one of his games to Jacksonville, Brandon, during preseason. He was fantastic, and you can see why the Seahawks really like him. So it wouldn't be a shock at all if he did come back. Uh, but it would be a bit surprising, wouldn't it, like you say, because Geno Smith played so well in that last game and did fairly well in the previous game uh, against LA. It would seem a little bit harsh to just move on from him, having spent all of off-season with him and Paxton Lynch on the roster to just move on and bring Magoo back. But there are still things to be determined. Uh, but there were some big, uh, some surprising moves, I think. You know, Jerome Brown was especially surprising that he was cut, and he wasn't the only surprise. No, lots of surprises. You mentioned the fact that they kept seven linebackers. I felt like that was a surprise, but as you said, that could be... Uh, they could see that as a move, maybe not wanting to allow Ben Burkirvan to hit waivers after a solid game against the Raiders. Austin Calitro had a good preseason. They still have some questions. You know, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, not exactly young. Wright's had some injury history. So maybe you just want some extra depth there. And all of those players between among Shaquem Griffin, Cody Barton, Ben Burkirvan, Austin Calitro, all special teams type players. So you can see that they have a particular role there. Yeah, Justin Curry, Jawan Johnson, Jawan Young, the only three that were cut there among the linebackers. Moving over to cornerback, a little bit surprising that Jamar Taylor was among the cuts, but they make a deal with the Jets to get Perry Nickerson of via a 2021 conditional seventh round draft pick. I, I don't know if there's much less that you can give for a particular player, but uh, apparently liking him well enough to give up a draft pick to get, make sure that they get Nickerson. And it sounds like he will be looked at as a potential slot corner now. Yeah, you'd have to believe that that is the case. Um, I, I, when I did my 53-man uh, roster projection the, this week and the previous one that I did after the uh, after the LA game, I had them. I, I think it was pretty predictable they were going to bring somebody else in to play the nickel role because just none of the guys, Jamar Taylor, Keem King, obviously Kalen Reed's suffered a, a very serious injury as well. None of them had really stood out and won the job, so it seemed somewhat predictable they were going to go and find somebody who they were going to go and try at this gig. Um, I don't know anything about Parry Nickerson. He was a former six-round pick. He comes in. I know that he's very, very fast. I think he ran in the fourth threes. They've clearly seen something in him and feel that he can do that role. The last time they made a deal like this with an AFC East team for a nickel corner, it produced Justin Coleman. So hopefully Parry Nickerson is going to go on and, and have some similar success there. I think there's a chance that Deshaun Shedd will come back. I think that this is an attempt to not, you know, as we were talking about earlier, not guarantee his contract in week one. And I think next week, bringing him back to provide some experience and some versatility amongst the defensive backs 
could easily be something that happens. I don't think we've seen the last of him. Um, I, I think when you look across the secondary, it's, it's quite heavy in the in the safeties. You know, you've got Cedric Thompson, Bradley McDougall. I would imagine they're going to start this week. You've got Leno Hill. You've got Marquise Blair. You've got Hugo Amadi. You know, there's an awful lot of safeties there. I wonder if they will mix in some of these guys. that They introduce some three safety looks. You know, Leno Hill played an awful lot of snaps last season, even when he wasn't starting with Tedrick was starting in there. Leno Hill played, I think, something like 40, 50% of the snaps anyway. So I think that we'll see a lot of three safety looks. Perry Nickerson will play some snaps as well. Um, it is going to be interesting to see how this, this defense shapes up because we, you now you've got rid of some of your smaller guys. Bokevius Mingo, Jacob Martin are not there. Um, Cassius Marsh has moved on. You've now got huge size. You've got Javin Clowney. Um, you've got Ziggy Anser. You've got Brandon Jackson. You've got Rasheem Green, Quinton Jefferson, LJ Collier. All of these guys are huge human beings. You don't have a, a Leo on the roster anymore. You don't have that sort of quick twitch off the edge. I think that Michael Kendricks is going to be asked to provide some of that role playing as the Sam. I think what we have got is huge size. And I think that we'll have to see if they maybe switch away from a 4-3 under to a more traditional 4-3. Is it going to be more traditional two safety looks? Are we going to see ways to, to keep in base more often than nickel so that you keep the three-star linebackers on the field? And you know, how much of this getting big up front is to produce something that can take away the team's running game. I think they want to really improve there, you know, improve run defense, but still provide some pass rush. And I think this is what Carroll's kind of been hoping for for so many years now. Now he has two guys in Ziggy Ansa and Jadavian Clowney who can play on any down, who've got the size to handle the run. And Jadavian Clowney is a fantastic run defender, but have also got the fantastic athleticism to get after the passer. So, you know, any call, any down, any distance, these guys are going to be able to have an impact there. And what a NASCAR package you've got as well. And it, it's a NASCAR package that you could even see on short downs, you know, short distance downs. So you, you know, your big bodies up front, but you've got then Jadavian Clowney, Ziggy Anser off the edge, who can handle the run in those situations too. So a lot of options there for Pete Carroll. I just wonder if there'll be slight weeks not a huge overall on the defense but some slightly different looks in 2019 than maybe we've seen in previous years Clowney was one of the the top run defenders in the NFL and so many tackles for a loss in the backfield so you know you do mention him being that full-time guy on the defensive line having him as as a run stopper on this team that I feel like that's something that's kind of being overlooked <laughs> as we celebrate this Clowney trade yeah, and I've seen people sort of comparing Cloudy and Frank Clark, and I don't think it's fair to do that. You know, I think they are different players. Frank Clark was always, you know, even going back to Michigan, extremely explosive player, you know, very, very much more compact. He's got the long arms, but was kind of a compact frame, um, was sort of more naturally in those sort of 250 range, 255, screams off the edge. You know, run defense wasn't necessarily his forte. His ability to sort of act as a pass rusher was his best thing. Um, and I think we saw last year, you know, the, the great thing about Frank was, and this is why he ended up with like 13 or so sacks, was his ability to come off the edge, provide sacks at key moments. That was what he was good at. But, you know, so that consistent 16 games production, having him in on any down, his run defense, you know, I've not seen the statistics for it, but I imagine he wasn't racing, you know, in sort of like the top five or 10 defensive line. Genevieve Clowney is a very different animal altogether. You know, he is somebody who is more of that power end who can, you know, not just sort of handle the edge, but sort of destroy it. You know, he's going to take away tight ends and, and right tackles. He's going to blow them off the line of scrimmage and, and destroy running plays before they even get going. You're going to have to constantly monitor and sort of chip away at him. He's got the potential to wreck a game. Um, but even if he's not 
rushing with elite speed and, and just getting 10, 15 sacks a season, you're going to notice his impact constantly in the way that he creates TFLs. He's been amongst the league leaders in TFLs in the last three years. He has led the NFL in TFLs and has been in the top five regularly, four tackles for loss. And that's, you know, I think that is a huge statistic. You know, it's not just always about sacks and pressures. It is about your ability to stop the opponents in the backfield and force, you know, loss of yardage. And he's going to do that time and time again. And if he's taking away one end, defending the run superbly, hammering running backs in the backfield at one side, and you've got Ziggy Ansah flying off the edge on the other side and creating havoc. I mean, these are, these are two guys, Brandon, that we've seen actually in CenturyLink field wreck games against the Seahawks. We've seen Ziggy Ansah dominate Seattle's bad offensive line a few years ago. We saw Jadavion Clowney do it a couple of years ago with Houston. And uh, to see them be able to do it for Seattle now, working as a pairing, as a tandem, is going to be very exciting. Well, I want to talk more about this, Rob, after the break. I also want to talk about some of the cuts that were made on the offense, including on offensive line at wide receiver. We'll do that coming right up after the break. Okay, Rob, I want to stick with this idea of the defensive line, because if you were to go back at the start of the offseason, knowing Frank Clark was going to get the franchise tag for the Seahawks, And if someone would have told you that you'd be able to trade Frank Clark, you'd have a first round pick in 2019, a second round pick in 2020, and then instead of paying Frank Clark that $17 million, you'd be able to split that and get Ziggy Anza, and you'd be able to get Jadavian Clowney. And on top of that, in the draft, you would get Ja'Kai Polite, and you would also get LJ Collier. Uh, could you have imagined that in, I don't know, January, February uh, or this year? No, I, and look, whatever happens this year, you know, even if the Seahawks have terrible misfortune and end up being like an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven team, which I hope doesn't happen, I'm just saying, even if that does happen, John Schneider should be a contender for executive of the year because let's just sort of roll back and, and remember where this team was at the end of last season. They had, I think, four draft picks and they had four players who were all out of contract who they needed to address because in a year's time, they weren't going to be able to franchise all of these guys. You know, they needed to essentially find solutions with three of them and leave only one of them available for the tag if needs be. And that was Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, Frank Clark, and Jaron Reed. Now, three of those players are the three most important players in the franchise. You know, your quarterback, your quarterback in the defense, and Frank Clark, who was your specialist pass rusher. Um, to be able to solve that problem alone was a piece of genius. To get Russell Wilson tied up to a long-term contract, despite all the complexities that were coming with that and all the the bickering between both parties, to get that deal done, fantastic. To get Bobby Wagner done, brilliant. You know, you've you've solved the, the big issue for the franchise this year. You then take Frank Clark, you turn him into a first-round pick and a second-round pick. Um, You know, not ideal to lose a guy like Frank Clark, but if he was wanting $21, $22 million a year, um, you get a really good offer from the Chiefs. You take it, um, you bolster your draft, and then you change, you know, because of that Frank Clark trade, instead of having four picks, you end up with countless picks. You know, you really fill out your roster and improve your depth with a really deep draft class, which is going to follow into next year as well, now that they've got one first-round pick, two second-round picks, and one third-round pick, having already done this deal for Javin Cloudy. You take the money that it would have cost to keep Frank Clark, and you were able for that same amount of money to be able to bring in Jadavian Clowney 
and Ziggy Ansa. If you'd have kept Clark on the franchise tag, you get two players for one. If you take away that franchise tag and say, okay, you're going to give him $20 million, you've probably got Michael Kendricks on top of that as well, maybe somebody else. This is what he's been able to do. You know, he has created a Seahawks team within the space of a year. And let's remember a year ago, they were going through a, a, a minor rebuild, a transition, a turn, whatever you want to call it, to go from there where you're removing players like Richard Sherman and eventually Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and, and other guys as well. You're going to change that. You're going to revolutionize the offensive line. You're going to repair your running game. You're going to re-sign Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. You're going to get a solution to Frank Clark, which enables you to get some draft picks and really bolster your draft. You have a really good deep draft. You set yourselves up for the draft in 2020, then you're able to bring in Ziggy Ansah and Jadavian Clowney. This has been a sensational effort from the Seahawks GM. I don't think I've ever been more impressed with the work of a general manager in an offseason. That's not hyperbole. That is the fact. And whatever happens with the Seahawks in 2019, John Schneider has played an absolute blinder in this offseason, and he finally deserves the credit that he should have had a few years ago drafting Russell Wilson in round three. He should have been executive of the year that year, not Ryan Grigson for picking Andrew Luck first of all, first overall, which was a no-brainer. And hopefully this is going to be the year that John Schneider it gets that um, that award, hopefully, after the Seahawks have won a Super Bowl. Yes, let's hope that it's all after a, a Super Bowl season. Now, on the defensive line, Rob, of course, you have the big names. We've talked about Clowney. We've talked about Anza. They keep Collier. Um, you mentioned the, the fact that they're staying big on the defensive line. You know, Brandon Jackson, Rasheem Green, Quentin Jefferson, all, all big guys who can play outside but also play the interior on the defensive line. Puna Ford. They keep Brian Monet, which was a little bit surprising. Only one undrafted free agent who made the roster. It was Brian Monet. They keep Al Woods. But then they let veterans go like Earl Mitchell, uh, Cassius Marsh, is uh, let go. He ends up being signed by the Arizona Cardinals. Jamie Meter, I know a lot of people are considering him on their final 53. Uh, Logan Tago, maybe the only one who wasn't a big surprise. But then they're going to need to find room for Jaron Reed when he comes back from suspension in that Week 7 game against the Baltimore Ravens. And then you have DeMarcus Christmas going to the PUP list. It's just dawned on me that Jadavian Clowney is by far the smallest defensive lineman the Seahawks have, <laughs> which is so, I mean, that's just incredible, isn't it? You know, they're the, the land of the Giants now. You know, well, across smallest the by weight. I mean, Puna Ford probably does outweigh him, but he he may be the shortest one. <laughs> <laughs> Puna's definitely the shortest, but um, but in terms of the weight, Clowney is is by far the the lightest of the guys there. I mean, they are huge. Yeah, they are really, really big, really big defensive ends. Big bodies up the middle, you know. There's there's good depth there as well. So like Puna and Al Woods will start. You know, Brian Monet will will take some snaps against the run, but Quinton Jefferson can come in and play inside. Rasheem Green, Genevieve Clowney, you know, they can play inside Collier when he gets back as an inside out type of guy. You know, it's it's a really big, powerful group of bodies, um, and we'll see how they kind of. In, include some speed into that because Pete Carroll has always liked that speed off the edge as well whether that is Kendricks or Griffin as well but you know I think the Cassius Marsh departure is that because they are just going big is it because of savings for 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 veterans is it just that he is perhaps what he is and that we've kind of seen enough of him over the years to understand that actually the direction they want to go Brandon Jackson had a good preseason they think that he's won that job and they're going to go better but then Brandon Jackson is playing at kind of like 290 295 so he's he's very much an inside out type but you know I just think I'm intrigued by the the size of the guys up front and I'm very interested to see LJ Collier come back and see how he fixes 
weeks into this match. You know, Pete Carroll is saying he's not going to be the savior. He's not going to come in here and transform the defensive line. He's going to need some time. But, you know, by midway through the season, is he rotating in at defensive end uh, to put a bit of pressure on your, your Jeffersons, your Jacksons, your Greens as well? And I tell you what, Rasheem Green's got a big year because he's going to have to fight now because there's some guys that play his position and they're going to be putting some pressure on him and he's not done enough so far. So it's time to set up, step up for Rasheem Green. And the other interesting thing about this, Brandon, is... You know, Ziggy Anser's a free agent next year. Genevieve Clowney's a free agent next year. Um, Jaron Reed is a free agent next year. Yeah. What is this What is this defensive line going to look like in 12 months' time? You know, are they going to be able to re-sign all of these guys? Are they all going to perform well enough to warrant an extension? Um, that is going to be a huge talking point moving forward. So it's also a good thing there's a lot of guys motivated to do well to earn that big contract, which could really help the Seahawks this year. Yeah, and I think that's the key. Now, I don't think they'll be able to sign Anza, Clowney, and Reed. Uh, if they do, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, <laughs> Judge Schneider for, as a as another uh, executive of the year for, for possibly the following year. But it's it's not a bad problem to have. It's also not a bad problem to have when you're trying to decide how to fit a healthy CJ Procise into your running back rotation. When, when was the last time we saw him healthy enough to play in back-to-back games? And he did it to close out the preseason with what I have to imagine was his job on the line. So now you pair him with Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. You have the six-round pick, Travis Homer, that had success in the preseason as well. They really like his special teams ability. So those are the four players that the Seahawks decide to keep at running back. They cut fullback Nick Ballore. J.D. McKissick is waived and claimed off waivers by the Lions. And then you have Xavier Turner and Bo Scarborough also let go. Yeah, and here's the thing, Brandon. It's not only does ProSize made the team, I'd actually quite like to see him have a couple of series in the first half against the Bengals. You know, yeah. it's, it's what, a, what a turnaround. You know, um, the, the only thing is that you do wonder if he's, you know, CJ ProSize might be the biggest tease in Seahawks history. That you, you know, he shows this ability and he flashes like this in a couple of games to secure his place on the roster. Um, and, you know, maybe at some point this week we will hear that he's got a slight hamstring twinge or he's pulled a groin or he's got a wrist injury or he's got stomach upset or something like that you know whatever the long list of things he's had in the past and he'll be out of the game and inactive I mean this is the thing with him is that you know can he finally stay healthy and contribute to this team because if he can you know what there are not many with his potential let's say that you know his ability as a runner is incredibly high and he just has to stay healthy now and if he can then you're looking at Carson Penny and Procise as a fantastic triple-headed monster, really, for a team that wants to run the ball often. And, and I'm very excited about that, you know. And it's it's just a case of can he stay healthy now? Fingers crossed that he's going to be able to stay healthy. If he can, what a huge boost for the Seahawks. Well, you may be running the ball often because you look at wide receiver and there's a lot of youth at that position. Tyler Lockett, obviously your veteran, but you mentioned Jerron Brown getting cut. Probably the biggest surprise because he, Jerron Brown, to me, the way they treated him in the preseason, it was almost as if he were a lock to make this roster. And you saw some reports that maybe it was a, a cap casualty type move to cut Brown. But then you see the, the news come out that they're only paying half a clowny salary and they're still significantly under the salary cap. So I 
don't really see that as a cap casualty type move, but the Seahawks end up keeping Lockett. They keep David Moore, who could be out for a few weeks recovering from his broken arm. DK Metcalf, maybe they're high on the fact that he could be returning for that week one game against the Bengals. And then they're able to keep their other late round draft picks. Gary Jennings, fourth round draft pick. John Ursua, the seventh round pick. And then you have undrafted free agent from last season, Malik Turner. He bounced back and forth from the active roster to the practice squad last season. And maybe he showed enough in the preseason that he could do just about as well as Jerron Brown. Jerome Brown being cut was the biggest surprise by an absolute mile. Um, he had been talked up all off-season by Pete Carroll, by Brian Schottenheimer. They were going to expand his role. They needed to get him more involved. You know, there was all of this talk. And then they cut him. And nobody could see this coming. Now, as we are speaking, I don't believe he's been signed by anybody yet. So, you know, next week, the, as we've said with others, if he's still a free agent, there is at least a chance that he could return. So we have to, you know, just note that. Um, but I just wonder, you know, maybe they, there's, there's a few thoughts here. I mean, they are only paying a part of Clowney's salary, but a lot of people are saying that there are so many bonuses tied to Ziggy Ansah's contract, Michael Kendricks's contract, and, you know, some of these other guys, KJ Wright, contract um, that maybe the, the Seahawks don't have quite as much cap room as everybody thinks and then in a, if everybody performs to the ability that they can that the Seahawks are actually going to see this this cap room frittered away and maybe that is one of the reasons why Marsh and why Brown and some others have been moved on I think the other thing could be that they maybe just didn't want to lose some of these younger guys you know if they they are really high on Malik Turner Maybe they'd got some intel that said Malik Turner would have been snatched up on waivers if the Seahawks cut him and they didn't want to lose him. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps I, I have to assume that Gary Jennings would have been picked up by somebody had he been cut as a fourth-round pick. So, you know, there are two guys right off the bat. Jonas Stewart, I think, would have been easily picked up if they'd have cut him as well, and I don't think that was ever very likely. And I don't think they were going to cut David Moore, and they certainly were going to cut Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. So this might be an act of, do you know what? We like Jerron Brown. But we also like these younger guys and they've got club control and we want to grow with them. And we want them to grow with us. So we're just going to protect the young guys and roll with them. And we're going to take a hit on Jerome Brown. I think that that perhaps makes the most sense. But it was it was definitely the one that surprised me the most yesterday. And when when you consider the fact that Malik Turner, he could probably do just as well on the field as a guy as a veteran player like Jerron Brown and as you mentioned, younger. So it does to me, it makes sense, although it was, like you said, one of the more shocking moves. And another shocking move at tight end, Jacob Hollister, a guy that you think that they're probably going to keep at tight end. Now they're able to move him to the practice squad, so you're not that concerned about cutting Hollister. Uh, but they do keep Will Disley, Nick Vanette, and Ed Dixon. Yeah, I think it's good that Hollister is, uh, is on the practice squad, certainly because it seems that the Seahawks pick that they spent to New England was not a conditional one. It was only a seventh rounder, but and they will get that back when they inevitably trade down next year anyway. But it, it certainly would have been a waste if he'd just been cut and moved on somewhere else. So the fact that they've got that ability to call on him if needed down the line is good. Um, I like the Seahawks' tight ends. I just hope that Egg Dixon can get healthy and stay healthy because that's been an issue with him for, throughout his career. Will Disley seems to be back, um, which is a great piece of news, Nick. Vanette has been steady away for a couple of years now. So um, some good options for the Seahawks. They don't have a a major game-changing X-factor at tight end, and that's maybe something they would like to, to acquire coming up in the next couple of years. But Will Disley, if he can maybe grow into that role, because they were very high on him before his knee injury, we have to see how he comes back this year. But, you know, for what the Seahawks want to do, which is block, run the ball, do some play action, the three tight ends, they've got are perfect for that. 
you know, maybe the most important news for the Seahawks that they were able to keep together that offensive line, especially uh, it, with the news of the Jadavian Clowney trade. Dwayne Brown, Mike Upati, Justin Britt, DJ Fluker, and Jameda Fetty, the likely starting five. You got Ethan Posick, who can fill in for Upati if he's not healthy at the start of the season. Joey Hunt, we mentioned, signed to the team, but one of those guys who's likely to go to IR potentially and come back toward the middle of the season. Jamarco Jones and George Fant rounding out the nine offensive linemen kept on the team. That uh, that means Elijah Nkanza, who was cut, he goes to the practice squad. Uh, Jordan Simmons, I'm not quite sure what his situation is with his injury, but Marcus Martin, another player who was kind of on the bubble, who was cut, and Phil Haynes, you got going, still on the physically unable to perform list. Yeah, Jordan Simmons has been put on injured reserve. So okay. um, I think what we will see in the in the next few weeks is maybe an in- injury settlement of some kind. And then when he's healthy, he could potentially return to the Seahawks. And I wish that Simmons was healthy because we saw in a couple of games against the Rams last year that he has got some potential there. You know, he's got some potential. He can be a very useful fill-in um, if when DJ Fluker misses his, his game or two that he will inevitably miss this year. If you had Simmons in there or if you had Phil Haynes in there on the roster as well, you would say that that looks like a really good group. I mean, the starting five look particularly strong. I think there's a definitely a chance that that will be a top half of the NFL offensive line this year. Um, I think that having Posick, Posick has taken a stride forward and has looked really impressive so far in preseason, apart from the first game against Denver. I think since then, he's looked really good. Uh, Jamarco Jones has shown potential. Joey Hunt, hopefully he's going to get better quickly because they really like him. George Fant as the kind of sixth offensive lineman slash tight end and a backup tackle as well. Really good. You know, it's just that one guy perhaps that they're missing. Now, Phil Haynes is on the pub list, so we won't see him for a few weeks when he gets back hopefully he will fill in the Jordan Simmons role if Jordan Simmons can't go and uh, and the depth will be there you know I've seen some people saying they're concerned about the depth but you know actually when looking across that list now and sort of re- relaying it again I think it's a really strong list um, and I think Seahawks fans can be quite confident about that offensive line and their knowledge of the scheme and their ability to, to execute an offense the way they want to some other good news that I know people are, will be excited to hear Jazz Ferguson making it through waivers and coming back to the Seahawks and playing on the practice squad. He'll, he'll join Terry Wright among that receiving group that, come in, that comes back to the practice squad. Big news and a big year for Jazz Ferguson. You know, I did think I projected uh, in my roster that he would get cut and then we'll get put on the practice squad. I think people need to remember that it's nothing to do with his preseason performance and everything to do with the fact that he got kicked out of LSU, which is very hard to do. And then uh, even turned up to to rookie minicamp overweight for the Seahawks. So this is a guy who has got some some character issues here and um, that has put some teams off. He won't have been on their draft boards. He was undrafted. Um, the Seahawks are giving him a chance. They know him best now, having spent the preseason with him. It's the best thing for him to do is to join Seattle's practice squad, learn the ropes, and you know there will be injuries at, at receiver. You know DK Metcalf has had injuries. David Moore currently has an injury. Uh, John Oshua was drafted with an injury. Um, so you know these guys will get hurt eventually. Jazz Ferguson will get his opportunity to come onto the roster, and you know there may be a time in a few weeks when they decide we have to protect him. We don't want to lose him, and they just stash him on the roster anyway. So it's great that he's still with the Seahawks. He's got a big future. He's got to take this opportunity now. Another player still with the Seahawks, just being reported as we're recording, Rob Josina Anderson, saying that Geno Smith is coming back to the Seahawks. We're, we're down to having a backup quarterback behind Russell Wilson again. It's a really curious one, isn't it? Um, why this has happened the way it has, that he was cut and is then being re-signed. You know, did they not 
has he changed his signature? You know, from the old contractors, uh, was there a bit of language in there that the Seahawks wanted to get rid of? I I don't know what it is. I well, mean, unless I think they it shows said, you the value that they place on the backup quarterback spot because. Out of all the guys, knowing that you have you're still carrying Jacob Martin, Barkevius Mingo in in waiting for the the clowny trade to be finalized, out of the fifty three picks, they couldn't bother to find one other guy that they'd be willing to cut to bring back. It's it's the backup quarterback, Geno Smith. I, I just <laughs> I want somebody to expect. I want somebody. <laughs> You know, if Jacina Anderson is um, talking to Geno Smith, maybe she could actually text him and say, so what was that all about then? You know, you were cut by the Seahawks. You know, what, what was the reason for this? What was the language in your contract that the uh, the Seahawks wanted to remove? Um, because something is, you know, they they're obviously weren't happy with that deal, but, but they're bringing him back a, a day later. So uh, at least that mystery has been solved. We now have to wait and see who on the 53-man squad, of course, is going to be moved. Presumably that is going to be one of these guys going on IR that we've talked about. And uh, and Geno Smith will be, will be the backup for Russell Wilson this year. Well, Rob, really want to thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, anything you have coming up on SeahawksDraftBlog.com in these next couple of days, especially with the, the game coming up against the Bengals? Well, today I, I did manage to just move away from babysitting duty for a couple of moments to uh, to catch up um, on a couple of college games yesterday, uh, the Oregon-Auburn game and also the Alabama-Duke game. I've still got three more to watch. Um, it's, it's great to do these condensed videos on YouTube now so it doesn't save you fast-forwarding, rewinding everything on your TV. Um, and I'm going to have some thoughts on those games coming up. Uh, we will look ahead to uh, the new season, which is starting uh, for the Seahawks against the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm lots more draft talk but um lots of seahawks talk as well so it's gonna be pretty busy uh got some big plans for the blog this year so uh, stay tuned thanks again to rob staten follow him at rob staten r-o-b-s-t-a-t-o-n on twitter check out his work at seahawksdraftblog.com and also be sure to check out fieldgoals.com lots to check out there including a look at Mookie Alexander as he lists the initial 10-man practice squad for 2019. I mentioned five of those names, talking to Rob. The other five rounding out those 10 players, you got guard Jordan Roos, Khalil McKenzie, who was cut by the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a guard. And another guard-slash-center, Kyle Fuller. Uh, He was playing for the Miami Dolphins. So those three, along with Elijah and Kanza, and that's four offensive linemen on the practice squad. Cornerback Simeon Thomas added to the practice squad, and safety Ryan Neal comes over from the Falcons. Also check out Kenneth Arthur's article about Malik Turner going into a lot of his college highlights and why it's likely that Malik Turner made the team along with those five other receivers we talked about So check that out. Plenty of other articles to check out there as well. And as we close out here, please be sure to subscribe to the show. I'm planning another show with Alistair Corp this week as we make some predictions going into the season ahead of Sunday's matchup with the Bengals, now less than a week away. If you'd like to support this effort as well as the Seahawkers podcast, you can visit GetInTheFlock.com, become a member of The Flock. We'll give you a shout-out on the next episode of the Seahawkers podcast. Looking forward to hearing Adam's thoughts this week on the clowny trade after we discuss the possibility of it happening on last Thursday's show. Plenty more to come later this week. Thank you for listening, and go Hawks!